You are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach. And although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority Podcast. And if you're thinking today, oh man, sales is hard. Every time I talk to someone, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Well, I got good news for you today because John is joining me and we are going to be talking about how to increase your closing rate by 87%. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much for having me. I very much appreciate it and hope everyone is ready for a, a great episode together. So, so John, let's let's start right in with some of the nitty gritty here because I know everybody's listening is like, okay, <laughs> how do we do this? Right. So first, I guess the first question is, what would you, let's give the biggest takeaway right at the beginning. What would you say is the best thing that someone needs to do to increase their closing rate? I love that you want to start with that. So if you want to increase your increase your closing rate, not just with sales for your business or for publishing a book or for making a connection, making a deal work out, your spouse, a deal with a kid who, no, I don't want this seventh piece of candy. Let's figure out, eat something else. You name it, whatever the case may be, it's two things. One, tailoring your language so it is based on them, their needs, their wants entirely. Because people are very uh, against things that aren't in their own interest. They, of course, are for themselves. If you were to tell me, hey, I could get you on certain podcasts, I'd go, great. But if you lead with, hey, we want you to buy this or this, there's a problem with this. So always lead with language, and including and focused on what your prospect or the person you're talking to, what they truly deeply want deep down. And secondly, in sales. And just in business and in general, this kind of goes along with the first uh, strategy is to always ask questions that lead to your other questions and that get the person to sell themselves on the idea. So it's pretty, it's not complex, but it's hard to learn. But when done correctly, if you can get people to answer questions themselves and say yes to their own ideas, but leave them to your idea, you can close anyone in anything very, very easily. I love it. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. Like you said, it's complex. It is something you have to practice. And yes. I remember, you know, one of the first times I was I was working on learning to do this. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to shift how I asked the questions, my right. skill process. Right. You know, I'm trying to think ahead. I'm trying to make sure I do it properly. Right. Ask me how well I did the first time. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Does it doesn't because because you can't. I get that too. Like people are. Like, how do you speak so fluidly and nicely and charismatically? Sometimes, sometimes not. And mostly it's because you have to go through some really bad calls first. (laughs) Well, it's called practice. Yes, yes. Insane amounts of 
educated, self-thoughtful practice on what did I say? What did I say differently? What could I say differently? And yeah, especially in sales. And again, if you're trying to close book for publishing or, or you name it, having the skill is really useful. So with my girlfriend, she always goes, why do you always win every argument? <laughs> it's because, because I, there is no argument. <laughs> there is no. Yeah, exactly right. There is no argument because I agree with your, your situation. That's another part of sales and working with people too, is you don't want to object necessarily to things they say. They say, well, I, I want it like this. Great. We can do it like this. Now, if we could get this end result you want, would you possibly maybe be open to a few other ideas? Sure. Maybe I would. Great. If we could, you start asking these questions and get yeses. That's another big, big part of sales too, is getting yeses again and again and again, getting yeses, preluding to the bigger ask you want later on, all these things being also extraordinarily authentic. That's one of the things that I I have a hard time not doing, which is great because it leads in with my personality type, how I present myself, you name it. When you are especially just yourself, people feel that and they want to work with you naturally just because they feel like you actually care because people don't care about how much you know, they care about how much you care about them. Yeah, mm -hmm. so true. I, I remember when I was first getting into sales and I had these very slimy, sleazy, manipulative people trying to teach me how to do sales. And I'm like, this is not me at right. all. And I finally had to get to the point where I didn't care if I won the trophy or if I was the mm -hmm. top salesperson or whatever. I just had to sell in the way that I could look myself in the mirror. Right, right, right. And go, oh, I didn't this person off. I didn't actually, you know, you didn't pressure them. And that's that's actually what we I consider bad sales. Bad sales were taught at that time is, yeah, pressuring people, trying to make them make a decision. It also, the weird thing is it actually doesn't convert as well either. No. So it feels wrong and it feels like off. And it also just doesn't actually work as well as much as people tell you. Because a lot of times I'll meet someone like, oh, this person's a really good salesperson. You should you know, talk to them and, and see how they do it. And a lot of times, yeah. I believe in like the consultative way of selling, mm -hmm. questioning. And again, I'm always on the thing is some people can't afford your stuff. Some people don't yeah. want what you're offering. But the great thing is that doesn't mean you still can't sell them on something else that can still help them. Because a lot of people, especially in selling your book to someone or selling your idea to someone or anything else, you name it. I think people get caught up in the no. Okay. No, that means I can't work with this person anymore. No means you haven't quite found something that will help them yet. So you still need to dig deeper on what they want. You still need to dig deeper on possible ways you can work with them because handling no is most people's kryptonite. It's like, well, I'm shutting down now. <laughs> no, is like, okay. Cool. Sounds good. I, I, I've learned that no has become a very good friend of mine. Right, right, right. It, it is. It's self-filtering and it's, it's good to hear no and, I think maybe in today's world, told no enough. We need a little more. No, it well, develops you. And, and sometimes, like, I believe in God. And sometimes I think God has people say no because they're just not the right person right. for you. It might just be a, you don't want to work with, like, wish a couple people would have said no to me in a couple of uh, business deals. So <laughs> a real quick example of that is, um, so we've done different types of lead generation for my businesses for years. We've done PPC, we've done Facebook, YouTube, organic, all types of stuff, right? And we're like, we want to get into SEO. We know nothing about it. We're going to dive into SEO. And if you don't know, SEO is the most complicated 
type of business model to run, period. When you get into like larger, more competitive industries, it's everyone, I don't recommend it unless you have a very small niche or you're doing it locally. Locally, it's much easier. So we work with two agencies. These two agencies, which cost around $60,000 in four to six months, produce zero increase in growth. Zero. So zero ROI, it's 60 grand. That's, you know, that's not a win. That's not quite a win. <laughs> and that's in circumstances where you can either live with it and move forward and go, well, what did we learn from it? And that's what we did. We went, okay, well, now we actually probably know more about, more about SEO. We can do it on our own, which we did. And we produced more growth than that $60,000 ever did. And two, like you're saying, it's like sometimes, no, you may not realize it, whether it's God, the universe, something you might, you should have gotten a no, or maybe if it doesn't feel right, probably isn't right. If you think it should be a no, don't force anything. Let things just work out on their own. Cause sometimes I wish I would have gotten a no or two. Well, I think the other thing too, is sometimes we have to fire the clients. Right. Before yes. they become our clients. Yes. There, there yes. have been people I have said no to because after a couple of interviews, I'm like, there is no way I am working with this person. Yeah. And I actually fired a couple of cl clients mid-process right. because it was so toxic, so stressful. You know, like it was, it was better for me to give them a partial refund. So they only paid for the work we did and whatever else they had paid, I gave it back to them than it was to continue working with them. Right. The time alone, because time is money, time is all your money, the time alone and the resources to working with a really difficult client and the stress of it, it's just not, not anyone again. Yeah. If, if you're listening to this and you want to work with someone, but quite aren't sure because of your interaction with them or they act a certain way, or it just seems like it's going to be a, a lot of rigmarole back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Let yourself not get the client. Even if you need it right now, try your best to just go, you know what? I'll find someone else. I'll work with someone else or send them to someone else. Say, Hey, I don't think this is going to work for us. At least collect an affiliate commission off a referral fee. I have someone else who can handle this for you. And yeah, that's something huge. People have to get used to when I, especially when I first got started doing some different consulting and different things, saying no was very difficult. And I found out the hard way. Yeah. Middle of the process, you're working with someone you're like, this is not the original project I thought this was going to be nearly close and I want to get out, but I don't know how to get out. And it's just such a, a drainer of time, energy. It doesn't go as fluidly. You're saying no, saying no is a, is a good thing. Well, I think that leads to the sort of the second part of the conversation is, you know, how, how do we improve lead quality? Yes. I think, you know, your closing rate improves, uh, you know, by doing the things you suggest, but it also improves if the quality of the lead in the first place. So I'd yes. love to hear you talk on that. Yeah. So the two biggest filtering processes, it all depends on how you're generating leads in the first place. But the two biggest filtering processes is one, the copy messaging you are using. So, you know, a lot of times you're told, everyone's told you want as many leads as possible. Bring the leads in, let them come in hordes, let them come in avalanches, let them come in mountains. Bring, that's the exact opposite of what you want. You want a slow trickle of very, very high quality people who can afford and who actually very much want what you're offering. Mm -hmm. And your messaging, your copywriting decides who's, not always, because some people sneak through, but a lot of the time it can filter out who's coming in. For example, a, 
how you could change your phrasing. If your phrasing was, say it's for an agency, you know, um, get your first three months free of our lead generation. And, you know, you make this astounding, amazing offer that is for everyone, anyone in any industry, any niche with any budget. No, a much, and I've, I've seen examples of this. For example, the Harmon brothers, they run advertising. Some of the best ads there are in the world do a great job, very creative advertising or Hermosia, many other people, their messaging on an ad, for example, is we work with seven figure agencies in XYZ niche and help them scale and double their revenue. So there goes anyone, not always, but most likely who's doing less than probably five or six or who's a beginner agency. There goes people who are not in the industry, you name it. So you have to call out either directly to your target person or filter out with language who you don't want. So you use, basically you can use revenue, you can use industry, you can use whether they're just getting started, whether they're experienced. No, we're working, we want to work with seven figure experienced agencies looking to scale and optimize through conversion optimization, your direct service you offer. So also call out directly to how you help people in some yeah. of your copy you're using. And the second way, other than your advertising is the process they go through. Yeah. So so, you know, making sure you're having it. So they actually, they book a call with you before they book a call with you, they fill out forms showing you their revenue, the type of business they have, what they're directly interested in, you name it. And again, if you see they are not the type of clients you want to work with, they're on the edge. Most likely what you want to do is not have them work with your higher ticket offer or your services that involve directly your time, bring them to another product and service. That's the biggest thing you can do. Biggest mistake most agencies, for example, make is they go, well, it's a no client or they don't fit our persona for our product and service, our main one, let them go. No, sell them something else, package what you do in a different way, sell them something else. The people who do qualify, who go through your advertising and who go through your sales process, your funnels, and they go through all that copy, all that messaging, they're a lot more qualified. And then final, really, real quickly as well, I suggest your follow-up. Your follow-up is the third kind of communication piece that you want fine to again, only working with and targeting the right people uh, on your ads. Make sure you're targeting the right people again who can afford and who want your product and services and also who are most likely to be long-term buyers. Yeah. You want the best quality client because again, the cost to the biggest, there's two things. The cost to acquire a client who leaves really soon, especially like with agency-like work or anything that's monthly work is a lot compared to one that stays for a long time. And also the Wasted ad spend on leads and possible prospects who aren't going to buy or who are less likely to buy and take a lot more messaging to convert them means you're wasting most businesses, the majority of your ad spend on people who are going to buy right now because you're looking for everyone. No, fine tune your pitch, fine tune your copy, fine tune your sales press and your follow-up. You're going to see a lot higher quality leads coming through the door. Wow. I, I couldn't agree with you more, John. I couldn't agree with you more. I like the fact that, you know, you bring things people through a process and I think you know one of the things I'm working on right now is because I've only got my very high ticket items is working on I'm right. developing one that's not so high ticket right so that I, I can meet the needs because there's a lot of people that I want to help but can't afford you know right. the done for you so I'm developing a done with you. Yeah, done with you. A done with you or do it yourself version. It's so much better for your people because again, your job in business, people forget your job in business is to serve people. And if you actually serve as many people as you can, you actually make more money as well. It's actually, if you go ethics first, money follows. So serving as many people, serving your nose, serving the people you can't just work with 
or that you mm -hmm. want to, you want to lower your prices for them. Like I've had many calls and I do, I do this for every once in a while. I break my own rules. Someone has a situation. I need my website designed, but I don't have, you know, five grand for it or whatever. I go, well, I guess I could do it for a grand. I can do it for a grand for you. Some circumstances, if, if you can situation, you know, work it out. And if you can't though, like you're saying, give them a done, a done with you. I'll do a video review telling you exactly what to do, how to do it, where to go for the resources, you name it. Or run them through a course, run them for a solution that's already mm -hmm. done. That's the best thing you can do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's shift gears here a little bit, John, now that you've, you've given us so much meat to chew on. I'd love for you to introduce yourself a little bit more. Your bio sure. says that you're an American entrepreneur. You're a top 1% growth consultant and business master. You are a two-time self-published author, <laughs> running three separate businesses and speaking in front of global audiences. Wow. I want to hear more about, about your story and how you came to do all these things. I'm a busy young man. And I, I try my best. So I got started really young. I'm a second generation digital marketer because my dad, when I was around, he says 11, I say 13. I got started in the business that young. Initially, I had a gaming blog. I, ga I still game a lot. I had a gaming blog. I actually convinced my, this is where my persuasion and entrepreneurial started. I convinced my teacher to have multiple days in class of people creating their own blogs, their own websites and different things. So I saw my dad brought our family out of poverty. So my family was living in someone else's basement in welfare apartments. He brought our family out of that as well as my mom, who both worked extraordinarily hard. I think at one point, I think she had two or three jobs. He had like three jobs. It was a craziness at that time. Anyways, he brought, they brought our family out of that situation. And then as well, I kind of saw the beginnings of what entrepreneurialism could do. I started mm -hmm. dabbling in it. And then around 15, 16, I could almost legally make money. So I was preparing myself <laughs> by literally, I was preparing myself to launch my own business. I worked at the only job I worked, fortunately, at Walmart for six months. Shout out to Walmart. He gave me my first six months uh, working at a job and I worked there. I got a bunch of money together. It was like two or three grand to launch this product with a friend. Launched it, failed miserably. I lost every cent I had saved up from working from Walmart. That was my first kick in the, kick in the balls from entrepreneurial journey, which happens. From there, I went, well, Throughout that three to four years, what I did was I didn't learn from anyone. I didn't want to take any advice. I had I had a lot of pride very young because, you know, extremely smart and intelligent, especially school related. I was all honors. I could go to any college I probably wanted, but I. Yeah. What could those old people teach me? <laughs> yeah. What do they, yeah. Understand? What they understand about they, this? They don't have 30, 40 years experience. <laughs> right. They, so, they, they lived before cell phones. <laughs> right. So I just went, I want to do it myself. And then I realized, yeah, that's probably the worst way to go. So I actually, I, I take any advice for strategy from my dad this entire time. I reached out to him and said, hey, could you give me some <laughs> ideas? And I also- and, started, and he was probably smiling from ear to ear, right? And she was like, well, thank God. I've watched <laughs> this little guy struggle for so long. And I also started going in a heavily learning mode because I realized that I don't know enough, you know, not learning and not applying are the two biggest things in business people miss out on. So I decided I need to learn as much as humanly possible. So I started learning from Frank Kern, Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, every guru, every non-guru, everything I possibly could. I'm like, I need to learn as much as possible if I'm going to get into business. So 16-ish, yeah. started learning more and more, started making some money with it. So, ooh, okay, maybe I'm not going to have to go to college. Maybe I can do this instead. Around 18, uh, 
business went down. I was struggling. That's why I started taking some of those freelancing clients who are like 500 bucks for three months work. That sounds great. Don't care. I need the money right now. Took those clients in around 18 and 19, my affiliate marketing business, which is primarily my income for the years, started taking off, started growing, started moving to some consulting. And ever since then, I've just grown, grown, grown. And now I'm doing a lot more speaking, doing a lot of traveling, mm -hmm. podcasts, and things are going good. And I am doing a lot better than my initial two, two <laughs> stops. <laughs> You know, sometimes we know just enough to be dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew just barely enough at the time. <laughs> oh, John, I love it. I love it. And, you know, the digital age has just been around long enough that we are actually now going to start seeing second generation. Like you said, right. that, and I was like, what? Second generation. Right, right. Wow. Like that. You don't hear that, right? No, you ne never do. And that was... Real quickly, it's been a curse and a blessing. So the good thing is I'm very youthful. I have a lot of energy. I have a lot of different ideas. But going through the journey, when you're also really young, that's the other thing about not having experience. No one takes you seriously. No one yeah. takes anything you say, oh, I do consulting. No, you don't. Well, I do. I'm actually very good at it because you're so young, because you don't have the same look and appearance and you name it. Um, it's very hard to be authoritative. So in order to be authoritative, I had to learn so much and sound as professional as I possibly could in order to articulate myself in such a way that I was actually perceived as being knowledgeable and, and, and such. But yeah, it's, it's been a journey to say the least. Or you play the other card and you use it to your advantage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you get, you sneak through the door and then you show them how much, you know, that was a lot of what I did. That was a lot of sneaking through the door. So, to go quickly on that as well, too, I had my youngest was when I was, I was either 16 or 17. I was creating some content. I think it was on LinkedIn. I was creating some content and I attracted a couple clients, you know, through just posting different things on Converge. And it was a, a company called, I think it's still around, called Influencer Inc. or Inf Influencer something was their name. And they said, you know, we see your stuff. We like your content. Tell us how much you charge. And I looked at their stuff and I went, this is a serious. Swythe, $8,600. <laughs> I had never earned nearly $8,600 in probably two months, let alone one single project. And I went, well, great. We can do that. We can do a split pay, $4,300 initially, $4,300. You know, I am like, I have never heard of that money in my life. That's a lot of money. Um, so I'm like, sure. What do you need done? I can, I can do anything. I can, I can. You paying me that much? Well, wow. yeah. I will discover what I need to find out. So, anyways, like, I got forty three hundred. The initial forty, but a lack of knowledge, a lack of applying, a lack of resourcefulness. Young kid didn't get the the second forty three hundred. They didn't, you know, you weren't able to do some of the things we wanted you to do. And I think at the time I was also like, just. I was negotiating my affiliate marketing business, my freelancing, working with them, so many different things. First, it didn't work out. But it goes to show as well that people, whether you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, you are an entrepreneur, you want to connect with a podcast, you want to connect with a great person to talk to, make it never be afraid to, because you might get a very, very unexpected yes. And even though you can often, I recently, 
Influencer Joy on YouTube. Influencer Joy has a pretty large channel and great. I think he has over a million subscribers, which it's pretty bulky. He does a great job. And Enjoy didn't answer me for the first five follow-ups. I'm like, I'm trying. I made videos, you know, videos like this. I made different things, different deals, whatever. I finally got him to buy some services from me just to work my way in the door because you have to ask. You have to ask again. You have to ask it six times, a different way, a different perspective. You have to follow up like a machine, and eventually you'll get a yes, or you'll find someone else who will give you a yes. Entrepreneurship to me is like it's like being in a boxing gym with Mike Tyson but you have on pillows and he has brass knuckles and you're just, you're just <laughs> taking left and right hooks like nonstop. And eventually, well, Mike Tyson, you'll lose, but an entrepreneurial journey, you'll, you'll get a win somewhere. <laughs> oh, John, I love it. We're going to shift gears again. Cause you are a two time self published yes. author. So first of all, um, tell us about your, yes. and then I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Yes. So there's two books. One is 19, which I wrote at 18. And I got a lot of criticize, criticism for You don't know a lot of life. I, I didn't. Really. This is the biggest thing I can teach people. I think that one of my blessings, and that's why I wrote the book, is it's not from my personal experience. It's from other people's experiences I watched growing up because the situation I, I've been through, my parents' issue being really poor through being a weird kid and getting bullied a lot, many other things. Um, I lear didn't learn from my experience. I learned from watching others. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. If I, I'm going to grow up, you know, struggling, mm -hmm. a lot of issues going on, you name it. So I watched my outside world. I can create a book. I can make a book because well, two, I didn't like to do what other people told me what to do or not to do. So I decided to do things on my own. And three, uh, very much so. I could go on stories about that all the time. But three, uh, I think the biggest thing is learning from other people's experiences. So you do not have to fail. So you do not have to struggle. So you don't have to go through their difficulties. I would rather not be beaten by personal experience. That sounds rough. I, that, that sounds the least smart thing to do. So I'm going to take it from other people's experience. So I took the stories, some of them in my personal life, some from other sources, and put it into a book called 19, which goes through 19 different lessons learned throughout my life from others now. Just mindset, uh, financials, everything. And then finally, I also created more recently a book called Finally. Now, I'm not wealthy compared to some other. Through my back of being two times very close to being homeless, one was with my family, which I couldn't have helped. Those just circumstances. Dad had two offline businesses bankrupt. The second was my fault. <laughs> my fault. Um, um, but through those circumstances and such, I'm wealthy compared to anything I ever So I wrote kind of what I've done through my journey to financially self support up, um, and as well how to manage businesses, finances, how to optimize business, grow your business, everything else. So finally wealthy. And I, well, I got some other people's experiences and some of my own to combine and put together to some good Hey, I love it. Love it. Love it. Here's a question that every author who comes on the show gets. Mm -hmm. So, what was the good, the bad, and the ugly? Let's say your second book about publishing mm -hmm. your second. The the also the bad and the ugly first. The bad and the ugly again. The the criticism and everyone who reads the book or both books of, well, can you really write about? This? I mean, are you are you really really well? 
And I'm like, well, you don't understand the idea of I'm wealthy and people can become wealthy from where they were. So dealing with a lot of criticism, people reading the book, uh, the actual the difficulty at the time of getting people to read the book as well, like I will give you a book. Will you read it? Yes. Okay. I have a book. Have you read it? I've read the first 10 pages. It's 180 pages. That's not enough. It's not, I don't write thin books. I write thicker books. It's, it's not enough. I need to get some feedback. So that was, that was hard. The criticism, trying to get honest critique. Um, Cause some people are also biased. Some people who read books and, and review stuff, put in their own personal bias. And that's a lot, a lot of the time their own critique they're giving you is, well, with my life experiences, I don't interpret information the same. So I'm going to give you different. Um, the good thing, however, it's a really damn book. I, I read my the two I've written about probably about 15 to 20 because I want to poke holes in them. I want to make sure that what I'm writing is ethical, is it honest, is it true, is it accurate, is it actually cool. And I'm reading them for the 15th time, I go, this is this is pretty good. So Finding Wealthy is the one I'm most proud of, I think. Really good, high quality, actually actionable stuff with not a story and filler. Like story is great. But I mostly actionable stuff and, and actions you can take right now to see an immediate result in your financials, your personal financials, advancing your career, advancing your business, you name it. That's priority. Like I can tell a story and engage you, but also like you need to know what to actually do to make a difference because I get sick of reading books. There's a lot of ones recently that that are they're like, you know, top bestsellers because they have a lot of really good story, but the actions like Here's this much story. This or make sure you take care of, I don't know, like balancing your checkbook. You know, this is checks don't even exist anymore, but that's my example. Um, so I'm always value action first stories. Yeah. You know, it's me. I'm, I won't say the name of the book, but I'm reading a book and everybody says it's the most amazing book. It's on a specific subject that I'm trying to learn. Yep. And I'm like, I know, I know there's some nuggets and the last third of the book is a fair amount of nuggets, but the first two thirds of the book, I could have actually have just not read. Right. At all. You wasted hours just reading this entire preamble. I mean, the person went into the history of a certain thing, which is fine. Like I get it. Okay. Understanding some of the history is good, but he spent two thirds of the book talking about the history and then the last third is about what to do to actually make this thing work. And I'm like, I'm like, I kept, I kept reading it in case there's something. Right. You're like, you're like, it's gotta be in the three pages, five pages from now. There's gotta be no. All right. Seven more pages. There's gotta be a, something else. And then finally you get to you like, thank God. <laughs> uh, one of the things that I do for people is I will take their books and assess for them. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the times these books aren't published yet, but sometimes I do do assessments on books that are already published because they're right. not seeing the results that they want from the book. Right. And one of one of the main things that I see is they don't get to what the person wants fast enough. Right. So you lose you lose because you're you're not giving them anything in the beginning. You're trying to lay this foundation, but the problem is the foundation needs to be laid, but you need to lay it in such a way they feel like they're getting something really valuable. Right. To me it should be almost like a gradual journey. Almost like a, a book that's, especially if you're writing like a self-help book in any area niche, it's almost like a story of like the Avengers or of anything, any other good. It's 
story, 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 something good. Story, 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 something bad. Story, 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 value. Story, you know, it should be a mix of the lessons throughout it or a bunch in the beginning, some story, a bunch at this point. And, you know, there's got to be some kind of something for them to chew on a little bit throughout the process. Oh, I so agree. Mm -hmm. John, I have loved this interview, but we are out of... (laughs) Well, thank you very much for having me. And I, I hope I didn't talk too long, but I get so excited. I love talking with you and talking with other people and giving value. So I appreciate you for having me on. Everyone listening to this, I hope uh, I hope I gave you some good stuff to think. So, John, just before we, um, I always give everyone an opportunity for the audience to connect you. How can they do that? So two places. First is YouTube. Just look up John Weberg on YouTube. Subscribe. Hit that notification bell as well. Uh, if you want to join a community for entrepreneurs, for growing your business, for basically accomplishing anything you want in your business, period, go to profitable.com. And then I have two quotes, if you don't mind. Two of my own quotes, which I thought up when I was about 13, 14, which is good. <laughs> May I? Go for it. Okay. So the first one is very obvious, very cheesy, but good. It is aspire for progress, hunger for success, and strive for greatness, which was retweeted by Jessica Biel, who is Justin Timberlake's wife. It went pretty viral, actually, at the time. Um, And your attitude is not defined by your life. Your life is defined by your attitude, which is also pretty self-explanatory. Your attitude's everything that you receive and give. Wow. Just love it. Just love it. Audience. If you have enjoyed today's episode, I highly recommend if you are on YouTube, click the thumbnail. I know these last episodes I've been doing this because I can't, (laughs) don't know which side it is, but you will see the thumbnail on there for episode 403 with Donnie Bovine. You don't have a sales problem. Now, if you're listening on your podcast app, it's probably coming out in November. I think Donnie was July. So you're going to have to scan back a little bit to episode 403. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. The extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.